All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, Editor-in-Chief and Chief Tap Dancer, (laughs) Rich Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, Contributing Editor and Burgeoning Lindy Hopper. (laughs) Natasha Bogutsky. I Lindy Hop last We're night. We're going to get you there within the next two or three dances. Are you kidding me? I wasn't Lindy Hopping. <laughs> I learned a little cha-cha. I learned a little tango. And, uh, and some East Coast I was able swing. To, yeah, yeah, and I was able so. to brush up on my waltz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Which well, wasn't bad. Look, all I'm saying is, and if, it, <laughs> if anybody out there is listening who has Lindy Hopped, um, Lindy Hop and cha-cha is the exact same footwork. One is you're doing it in the line, and the other is you're... Kind of putting a little funky bounce to it and doing it in a circle. (laughs) So, how else have you been this week? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm really tired. You've been burning the candle at both ends. I I took on a second job for this week uh, Mm -hmm. to help with Valentine's Day. And and I'm also rehearsing a, a play and it's just. I'm exhausted. We've, we've got a short. We've got two short films. We have to get edit notes um, uh-huh. and sit down with the uh, editors on, which and is I'm, exciting. And I'm prepping a table read for my newest script. Oh yeah, that's in that's in eight days, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. We are busy folk. Yes, uh, we are. But but not busy enough that we couldn't stick our head out, go to the movies, even though there hasn't really any been anything around for a while, and, and bring a, you a lovely Valentine's Day special. Yes, a three-hour movie, too. We're so busy. Let's 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 review something this for this week. Okay, Fuck, I saw Avatar twice last month. Let's, we'll wait. Let's take the longest movie we have. <laughs> and that, of course, is the wonderful re-release of 1997's Academy Award Monster, Titanic. Oh my god. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I think honestly, I saw it about four or five times, I believe, um, when it was out in theaters, and I maybe saw it once all the way through since then. Um, so it's been a long time. So yes, I was ready to go back to Titanic. It's been Bill a couple Paxton. years for me. And uh <laughs> But um I definitely watch it a lot more than you do. Mm-hmm. I've always just Enjoyed it. It's a monster cinema. I grew up with it on two VHS tapes. Like, <laughs> yeah, baby. And and they're not marked. So you just have to try to guess. Okay, this one with the iceberg on it, I'm guessing is the second tape. And this one where they're holding each other has to be the first tape. <laughs> <laughs> Great marketing there. Um, thank you, MCA Universal Home Video. Uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You said this was the first time you've seen it on a big screen? Agreed. Yes, wow. it is. Okay. So I guess, first of all, before we kind of dig into the movie itself, I want to talk to you about uh, the experience then. Going from, you know, seeing it on, yeah, A, having an intermission, a self-imposed intermission where you have to switch VHS tapes to, I believe you also have the, by now have the Blu-ray. I've had the Blu-ray for uh, several years at okay. this point. So yes. so you're, yeah, you're getting an upgrade in visual quality, at least a bit, through mm-hmm. all of that. But you're going from, you know, a home screen, no matter how big or small, to a movie screen. Yeah, and 3D. Oh, yeah. Way. Yeah, 3D. Yeah, it's a 3D about re-release. Um. Wow, I that that, that it, it left me fucking speechless, and mm. I, you you know that I can't help this part of my brain. I sit watch a movie a few times and I have it memorized, and oh, we're talking facial reactions, lines of dialogue, uh, just music cues, sometimes choreography. I I can't stop myself. It just yeah, happens. it just imprints. It just yeah. And Titanic is one of those that has always been imprinted. Um, So (laughs) I could throw it on, clean the parlor for three hours and never even look up and still feel like I'm part of the experience. But that didn't compare to the other night. Yes. It was 
I felt like I was watching it for the first time. It was the epic scope to be seen on a big screen like that mm-hmm. during the whole take her out to see Mr. Murdoch. Um, you know, let's stretch her legs, the whole king of the world section. I was beaming like the Cheshire cat from cheek to cheek. And I was about ready to cry happy tears. Mm-hmm. It was just, oh my God, that soaring, sweeping camera move over the whole ship during that was like, oh, like you don't really see the scope on 22 inches or 36 inches, whatever it is. And I feel like I missed so many small details in that movie that I caught the other night. For example, I'm thinking about uh, Rose's mom and Cal in a completely new light than I have ever thought before. Um, The majesty of it was so much stronger. When the iceberg hit the actual ship, that sound was like nails on a blackboard and it sent ice down my spine. Mm -hmm. And the whole third act, I leaned over to my husband and I said director in me is watching the amount of organized chaos going on here and is getting very nervous yeah the whole assistant to director department <laughs> oh there my god deserves a lot of credit they, there's so they much their going own on academy award honestly there's, they should have gotten their own oscar yeah there that, is that's so much going on uh with the idea of mob mentality and the panicking mm-hmm. and and just people crawling over each other that could go wrong so quick mm-hmm and and, and it and ultimately maybe, did yeah. yeah and uh but at the exact same time i'm like oh my god this is brilliant and when the when when the ship splits i that was the sharpest the clearest the most terrifying i think i had ever felt during that moment mm-hmm. before it was like oh there's david warner with blood on which technically is perfectly it's lean that comes later on but whatever and (laughs) (laughs) thank you for getting that yeah okay that reminds me because i i know there was deleted scenes but i'm like i i always was like yeah he's getting his comeuppance fuck you asshole and then last night watching it happen or or two nights ago watching it happen was traumatic Mm mm-hmm I was I spent a great deal of time during the movie the other night watching people's eyes. And that's when my idea of how some characters are being portrayed and performances are a lot more layered than I ever thought before. Mm-hmm. I think um I think it's a great 3D restoration. It, it is um for for a movie that was never shot to be intended to be seen in 3D. Mm-hmm. It looks really good. There, it's sharper, are, it's grittier. There are certain images that definitely work with the 3D. Um, I'm talking like there's one thing that really stuck out to me was there's an overhead shot of the lifeboats as they're being lowered. Mm-hmm. And you get you know that really great depth of field. There's other stuff where there's not a whole lot of depth of field. And that's okay though. Yeah, um, it shouldn't fine. be overpowering. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think yeah, I think they really kind of punched the three D at those epic in scope moments to really drive home what is actually happening. Exactly. And honest, for me, three D has never been about having things come flying at your face. It's about creating dimension to make it look more realistic mm-hmm. and less like a flat surface. Yeah. Um, and I thought that for this film, it was done very well for a film that wasn't shot 3d mm-hmm. um but even more so it definitely felt i think this movie outlasts avatar really it's Inter- think I- think about it it's had four re-releases in the past 20 years mm-hmm. um Okay. Well, Even Star Wars <laughs> hasn't had major re-releases um, like that. In the seventies and eighties, it did. It, um, but then, but since then, yeah, since 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 the special editions in what ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, right. around there. Um, yeah, we haven't we haven't had Star Wars back on the big screen. Oh yeah. nope, there was the um, there was the three D conversion release of the first movie. And then I think they also did Empire, but but they they I'm did talking... so poorly at the box office 
that they discontinued because their plan was to do all of them as 3D conversions. I'm just and then it fell apart. Yeah. I forgot about that. No, I'm just thinking about like um, major, major re-releases. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking okay. like something it's... in New York or LA or a very small run. I'm talking a major theatrical release mm-hmm. yeah. across now, the board. Now we're recording this on uh, Sunday the 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titanic is. In 3D, Titanic in 3D is out for at least a week. I, I think it's about a week, yeah. Yeah, it's only a week. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, this part of the conversation may be academic uh, once you hear it and uh, you want to go see it, unless you catch it, like, right at the end of the run on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. However, just looking at the weekend box office, number three film of the weekend is Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, an estimated $6.4 million. Want to guess what number two is? Avatar? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> with $6.884 million. So, uh, like them or loathe them, Jimmy Cameron can pack a theater. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he's, I think, personally, is a great technical director. He's... An imaginative technical director. He's great His with knowing and solid. Yeah, yeah. There um, isn't a single character in Titanic that I don't think gets a moment to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're going to go back to this script because this script. The more I sat there and watched it, the more it functions like absolute clockwork. It is an it's incredible so good. machine. It's insane how. I mean, people will say, "Yeah, the dialogue's kind of corny." It really it's a, isn't. It, no, it's A, it's not. And B, even if it were, who cares? This script is so finely tuned. It, there's not a wasted frame of this movie. No. Absolutely nothing is wasted in this movie. Um, so let's kind of dive in on that. Because uh, that's the thing that really you know struck me this time around. But really quick, I just want oh, okay, to finish up that thought. Sure, go ahead. I think that this film will outlast Avatar. Avatar is its own machine now. It's going to have multiple sequels, blah, 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 blah. Titanic will forever last because it's not reliant on its special effects as much. It is the last of the great epics. And I'm not saying Return of the King because I consider Return of the King an adaptation. I'm talking just its own original idea as an epic. Okay. That... That's actually a really interesting observation that I like. Um, it's 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 pra- It's almost all practical. Mm-hmm. You can feel that it's real. It it pumps your heart like nobody's business, yeah. and it's not shiny from special mm-hmm. effects, which it, is something we're so reliant on now in big blockbusters mm-hmm. that you can't the, have an epic and a blockbuster. The be one visual the effects same. are all in service of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't actually sink. <laughs> <laughs> a replica of the Titanic with no. people on board. You can't drop a conning tower onto people trying to swim away. You can't. You can't bounce somebody off a propeller. <laughs> Did you laugh? Yes. Do Everyone know, does. Do you know what? Do you, do you know who that is? No. They digitally scanned producer John Landau, and he's the <laughs> propeller guy. Do you know how I found this out? How? I interviewed him two days after the Academy Awards when they won it. Because uh, John Landau, his mother is, is from, from Kingston. From the Wilkesbury Scranton area, yeah. And he still had an aunt who was living in the area. So when I was freelancing for a local paper, my boss I walked in the day after the Oscars and my boss is like, Hey, you want to interview John Landau? I'm like, sure. How are we getting him? You know, like I had no idea about the connection. Yeah. And I just figured, oh yeah, sure. And I'd also like to interview Groucho Marx, but he's dead, you know? <laughs> and I have about as much of a chance. Honest, <laughs> the line that ev- there's like r- two moments in that film that everyone always laughs their ass off at Propeller Man and <laughs> um, the line about Dr. Freud. Oh, yes. Oh, the, the theory of passenger. <laughs> well, Ismay is an asshole, anyways. Ismay, uh, uh, no, I'm just talking about the preoccupation with size might be of great interest to you. Oh, yeah. When Victor Carver oh. starts smirking. Everyone lo- lost it mm-hmm. in the theater. It was oh, yeah. great. Oh, yeah. Um, and before we kind of get into uh, the script structure and everything, I do want to say, as and you know this, but I just wanted to reiterate as a kid, I went through like a three, four, five year phase where I was really interested in Titanic. 
Um, I had read the book um, by, um, was it John Lord? Uh, A Night to Remember. Mm-hmm. He had his new book out uh, called um, The Night Lives On, which, you know, kind of revisited theories about the Titanic and talked about other things, you know, what happens to some of these people and stuff like that. Um, there was no movies out readily available. There was the 1950s one. From, with Barbara Stanwyck. With Barbara Stanwyck. I hadn't seen that. Um, Raise the Titanic had come out a couple of years earlier, but that was a piece of crap and no one wanted to see that. Um, and yeah, it's not worth seeing. And uh, A Night to Remember. Yeah, A Night to Remember, the British ver- you know, adaptation of the book from this, also from the 50s. And um, oh, and the musical uh, film version of the musical, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which, which uses, is good, which uses footage from A Night to Remember. That movie so. is good and it's solid. And if you have a chance mm-hmm. to go see it, I've I, since seen all of them. But I've act- I actually saw Unsinkable Molly Brown. I think it might have been before I saw Titanic. Oh wow! So when Kathy Bates is sitting there at the table and is talking about the night that. Um, uh, her husband came home drunk as a skunk, lit the fire, and she had hidden the money in the stove. I lost it, laughing my ass off. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so so I had like a decent working knowledge. I'd written some term papers and stuff about it in like junior high and everything, mm-hmm. and I had like this deeply buried working knowledge of it. And I remember opening weekend sitting there in Titanic of watching it, going, "Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, this." And the, oh my god, this is and the way Cameron recreates all the events as we know them, as we know them as historically have hap- has yeah. happened, uh, while interweaving this story of two people and you know various surrounding supporting characters that didn't exist, and weaving it into all of these events and with people who did exist, yes, and. You know, hitting these moments, it it never feels like it's forced. It always feels like, you know, they're the movement of Jack and Rose through the story gets them to a certain point where we know what historically was happening, mm-hmm. and boom, and then we get that you know scene. It's it's but it's also profoundly great, clever. But it's also yes, and it's also a brilliant way of teaching us moments as we go about the fact that there weren't enough lifeboats and this is why because Mr. Andrews was <laughs> was told not, not to. to. Yes. And the fact that um you know he's <laughs> they're standing there and uh someone brings EJ the the iceberg warning and he's like, "Oh, don't worry. In fact, I've already lit the last four boilers." Yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Not um, to worry. Very normal for this time of year. And even when we cut back to the the nineties and the present day, and he goes, and he had the, he had the memo in his in his fucking hand. I'm sorry, his hand. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, it, it's brilliant. Just kind of how they're using this to tell a historical story mm-hmm. without boring your audience. Yes, because if you if you just do it too historical. You're gonna lose the interest of mm-hmm. the audience. It's it's too big and too grand of a story. Yeah, you you need this character. You need mm-hmm. these two characters who move through because ultimately, Titanic is a, the disaster and the tragedy of Titanic is is yes, it's man's hubris. Um, it's a destruction of the gilded the optimism of the gilded age. Mm-hmm. It's um it's a class story. It, it's, it's a huge it's a class huge story. class story. And the only way you can kind of move realistically in a narrative form move through the those various classes on the boat is with characters like this there was a version of titanic done a couple years ago uh with linus roche and actually pre doctor who jenna coleman oh that's right because i i had you um yes (laughs) (laughs) that's still with her yeah and um it's good and it definitely focuses more on the I, I would say the, the working class on the ship mm-hmm. and the and the people who served and worked on the ship or cr- helped build the ship like Mr. Andrews and one of the other like iron you know welders and stuff and Annie um Jenna Coleman's Annie is like a, a maid or a lady's maid or a servant on the ship and it, you know there's that's an interesting play, but it was a it was a TV movie miniseries, and after a while, it, it's good. 
but it's not great. And it, I feel like it flounders on not having an emotional connection to any of the fucking characters because there's way too many of them and you don't have a centralized focus in order to navigate through them. And I think Cameron does this brilliantly by creating Rose and Jack so he can connect all of the classes and all the people who were historically important from Ishmael and, and, and Andrews and mm-hmm. and Molly Brown all the way down to Isidore and Ida Strauss just oh. for a moment. And just, I know, I'm sorry. I know that's the, the, I was, this time around, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, yeah, okay. this time around, I mean, it well, hurt. first of all, Cameron really knows, yeah, this, 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 this movie basically shows you twice what happens to Titanic before we actually get there. You see the sunken ship. You yeah. see all the damage done. You know this is not ending well. You get the forensic um, analysis. Yeah. And then you get the forensic analysis when um, they bring uh, Gloria uh, Rose to um, mm-hmm. to the boat, to the oceanography. By the way, yeah. and- the amount of PTSD going across her face when he's giving that forensic analysis – I was always wrapped up as a kid in what he was saying and just how he kind of turns it into slight comedy, like Morse code, right across the bottom, punching holes as it goes. And it's a big ass up in the air. We're talking two, three, like 100,000 tons. This time, I know those lines. I watched her face. They're not only asking her to relive her greatest love and her greatest sorrow. They're asking her to... Tell them, these people who are, have, up until a point, they really have no respect for what they're doing. It is all, they're desensitized to it. It's just a record. Yeah. They're putting on this facade that they're like explorers and historians, but they're fucking treasure hunters. Yeah, they don't really give a fuck about anything. As as one guy says to Bill Paxton right in the beginning, you're so full of shit. (laughs) Yeah. But here it's. You can see it on her face. She is terrified to go back there. But it's it's uh, telling that story one last time at that spot in the ocean. Yeah. I think is what ultimately was able to make her be able to pass with peace. And of course, you know, Gloria Stewart did get an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress. So good. And yes, I didn't catch it when I was younger. I caught it last the other night and I was like, Oh my God! <laughs> um, She's doing brilliant work. But yeah, so, but he, I mean, Cameron basically tells us twice what's going to happen, and this way, um, we're not. Once we get there, once we strike the iceberg, and everything starts to happen, we're not questioning what is happening so much. We're not going, oh, well, where are they now? Why is there water here and stuff like that? We know. Um, and he does a great job of even setting us up on like when they go to certain levels, we suddenly see deck E, you know, on a sign. He, mm-hmm. he, you know, it kind of passes slowly by, but it registers. Yeah. It's not like a deck E, this is going to, it's not Chekhov's deck sign. Um, yeah, he's, he's much more um, casual about it, but it starts to register and we get a really good geography of the ship. Which is also very important once yeah, it's a massive ship. Yeah, and you know it just you know he's setting everything up, boom, 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 and it's fantastic how he does it. So once we get to the actual sinking, we're also you know we can concentrate on Rose and Jack, and we can we know what's going to happen. We know we're uh, we're almost anticipating what's going to happen to them. And that creates a certain kind of tension. Oh yeah, and, and dramatic fear. You know, uh, you know, it's something I didn't even think about until like because we as this an time audience as are watching. desensitized at the beginning because we. You're right. Yeah, we do see it twice. We're historically separated from these events. Exactly, and that's and, how we look at these. Go, and oh, okay. now they are the placeholders for the audience. Mm-hmm. And if you are there as a couple, the absolute fear. Of holding the hand of the one that you love, trying to save them from certain death during that. From a moment that when we sat down, we're just like, yeah, we know what happens. The boat fucking sinks. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, your heart starts pounding. And all you want to do is you want to grab the hand of the person sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's fantastically set up. And this is actually, I was thinking about this in the middle of the movie today, because I, I saw it this morning. I was thinking, you really need to teach this screenplay and this movie in a in a college level course. Mm-hmm. Take a week and, you know, read the script and then tear it apart and put it back together. And you can see how much uh this works. It's 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 phenomenal and how well uh scripted every setup every payoff it's just fantastic and, and then I, and then you know you how, you could probably do a whole you could do a couple of weeks on this if you oh God, started yeah. adding in like the historical elements and then going well we know this and the da, 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 da. And, and can we give extra credit like extra p- kudos where it actually freaking belongs to for helping to create those palpitations within me, uh, James Horner. <laughs> James his, Horner's great score. This score, I would call his masterpiece, and I loved like what he did with Braveheart. I loved what he did for Avatar and so many other movies. But he flows seamlessly. He's creating mood. He's not creating a score with this movie. Like I have been in movies before where it's just like, okay, yeah, it's a really, really sweet score or it's it's almost barely noticeable. This is recognizable and it's it's perfect because you have moments of great majesty like take her to see Mr. Murdoch mm-hmm. or you have those romantic beats of like a hymn to the sea or or rose like the actual theme for rose and then you have hard to starboard mm-hmm. which is when they see the iceberg bump 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 it's like holy fuck like it creates anxiety you go from being Cheshire Cat grinning to, oh my God, this is one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. things ever, to this is so romantic, okay. to, holy fuck, my heart is going, mm-hmm. where's my pulse? Okay. Someone check it. <laughs> and I had, and I'm only asking this humorously at first, and then we'll kind of get into it. Who's the real villain of the sinking of the Titanic? Are we talking fictional characters or historical characters? In, uh, in, in terms of this movie. Ishmael. Oh, well, yes. Ismay is because, you know, of his basic arrogance, greed, and blatant disregard of any safety precautions whatsoever. But who distracted the two guys in the crow's nest with their making out on the deck? Oh, Jesus. And so they turned around and saw the iceberg late. Yeah, but they also... <laughs> that was Jack and Rose. I mean, yes, but they also didn't have the... Um... The binoculars. The binoculars yeah. that, that they hadn't seen so. since ha- Southampton. And they had which already- Which is true. They, which is a h- historical fact. Yes. And also, they did say there was no wind, which means it would make no breaking water at the base of the icebergs, therefore making them harder to see. Exactly. That is the, the- only sketchy special effects in this movie, by the way, is the iceberg. And I'm willing to forgive it because of that detail. Because there was no wind. Because there mm-hmm. was no- Breaking. You, mean, you mean that first shot of the iceberg? Yeah. Okay. It's it's, I, it's sketchy, but I forgive it because it actually looks sort of realistic and see-through and really hard to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was just a funny thought I had while watching the movie. It was like, oh, yeah, they're over there making out, and the two <laughs> the, the two guys who should be looking for icebergs are going, oh, look at them over there. Good for them. Oh. Warmer than we are. <laughs> yeah, so it was... It was. It, it made me chuckle, and then they turn around. Oh shit! Iceberg. You know, I was like, "Well, guys, maybe if you weren't being such peeping toms, we wouldn't have had this problem." Uh, <laughs> but anyways, um, one thing I really liked as we do, you know, the tour of the ship early on, like as it's going out to sea, we see we get down into the engine room. Mm-hmm. We see the boilers. We see these giant pistons. Yeah, and. I think we look at that kind of giant machinery today and we look at it through, I think, a cinematic lens of, yeah, I've seen stuff like this in Metropolis or um, Chaplin's Modern Times. Mm, Modern Times is a good reference for that, yeah. But so, So maybe we always think, eh, it's just crazy. You know, they're kind of exaggerated, big, giant machinery to make a uh, point about the Industrial Revolution, which is what is going on with those two movies. But to see 
oh no, this is actually what it was like. Yeah. Was to me is something very awe inspiring. I was like, wow, we built shit that big. Look at those giant pistons. And then you're like, oh yeah. It's going to require a lot of power to move those, a lot of power to stop them. And then, and then you go down them. into the coal room and yeah. you see the people shoveling coal. Mm-hmm. And honest, I love that because we multiple times we get, like I said, we get a great journey through the class system of even just the people who are working on the ship from the captain all the way down to the people working in the boiler room. Yes. Like, that is a brilliant – I mean, when um, David Warner's character is chasing Jack and Rose through the hallways, down the uh, the elevator, into the piston room, and then, yeah, I did that, <laughs> the, by the, the way, while I was – The middle sit- finger thing? Oh, yeah. God. I was sitting in the theater. I knew it was coming, and I couldn't stop myself, and I went <laughs> – Yeah. Right back at it. Uh, sidebar just for a half second here. <laughs> David Warner is the sweetest, nicest guy. I met him oh, at an autograph show. I, I've and, heard. And it was, he was just a delight to chat with for the minute or so I got to. But, you know, he, you see him in movies like this or Titanic. Or Jekyll or, and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde or um, Somewhere in Time. And he, he's always like a mean son of a bitch. And which is funny because like a cuddly old grandpa. Which is he's funny because. He's just a cuddly old grandpa now. Yeah, well, he was. Oh yeah! Wow. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I, I know. I, that's one of those I, I ones I don't want to. That's one of those ones I just don't like to. I loved of. him as Bob Cratchit, yeah. by the way. Oh, okay. You forgot about that. Didn't yeah, you? I did. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> back to what you were saying. As he's chasing. Yeah, um, as he's chasing them, you not only get into the boiler room, but where they end up. In the freaking storage. Yeah. Like the baggage bay. <laughs> Imagine where the baggage bay is actually located. Mm-hmm. It's it's not up on the upper decks. No, it's it's, it's exactly where it struck. Mm-hmm. That was the one of I think like room one or room two, where oh yeah, the iceberg I mean, hit. Yeah, you see you see the guys you know the porters down there, and they discover the car that um Jack and Rose were in, and then you know before they can do anything else though, bam, bam right know, that's, through. Yeah, the water comes in. You know, and that's where you know it's all gonna—it's all not gonna turn out well. Yeah. Uh, and again, like I said, James Horner's score—holy crap! When that thing hits, and you see the people in the boiler room running like crazy mm-hmm. for those closing doors, yeah. it's like it's—it it invokes fear. Yeah. And again, this kind of speaks to the idea of class because their lives did not matter. Yeah. It did not matter. The survival of the ship. And everybody, you know, above a certain uh, deck on board, you know, was the designed, well, okay, if, you know, we have to close off a couple of these air watertight hatches to, you know, contain any kind of, like, flooding, oh, well, you know, we might lose some guys, oh, well. You know, mm-hmm. obviously the um, the head boilerman is there, you know, trying to get his people through and get him out. But you see that door come down and you see people still running up to it and you know they're fucked. Yeah. They absolutely are. And that's, I think, like, that's when I really started to get like, oh, man, this movie. Because <laughs> that's when it really starts to hit. And I, and I think, you know, going back to... About two years later, that same idea for a brief moment was used in The Mummy, and it still terrifies me, the idea of one of those doors coming down and you being trapped. Mm-hmm. And both of those movies I saw before I turned like five or six, and, and so the I, I could never put myself in a position, because I saw those films, where my life just meant that fucking little. Mm-hmm. And I, it's it's That's really fair. interesting to see that on the screen, and and mm. and I, you're like I said, as an audience member, you're now immersed into this world. Mm-hmm. You are going on this journey, and you're no longer desensitized to it. In fact, they're breaking down your walls oh, as yeah, I, a door shuts. I mean, down. I've always said like there's two moments that really hit me mm-hmm. uh, watching this movie uh, when when it was out or initially. Uh, the Strausses mm-hmm. as they go back to you know. Uh, you know, we live together. We're gonna die together, and they go back to lay down on their bed. And the mother, um, telling the the Irish fairy to to her two small children, both of those just kill me. And I was I, I, even before we were there, I was already just like, oh, 
you know, and my eyes are starting to water. I'm like, the, you know, kind of wiping away under underneath my glasses and my 3D glasses. So it was like a complete. The <laughs> band got me the other night for the first time ever. The gentleman, it's been a pleasure or a, a privilege to play with you this evening. No, right after he says, good luck, guys. And, you, you know, you can see the water starting to come up on the deck in front of them. And everyone's running around and. They had finally stopped playing, and he went, you know, good luck, gentlemen. He knows at that point, they're not getting on a boat. There yeah. aren't any boats left. Mm-hmm. And he decides to start playing again. Nearer my God to thee. Yeah. Which, honest, it wasn't the song that did it. It wasn't the montage that did it. It was the first person who started playing, the viol- the head violinist. And the reason why it got me was the realization that if I'm going to die, I'm going to die doing something that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the band members, those musicians, were not White Star Line employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't, I, they were like contractors. I can't remember what the exact designation was. But White Star refused to give out survivor benefits to their families. And that became a thing. Um. Yeah, I know. Yeah, White Star. White Star is like the the corporate villain in all of this. They're the big kind of they're they're the big bad. How'd you, you like know. the? That's White Star Line property. You're gonna have to pay for that. Shut up. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. I mean, that's that's great because again, you have you have some guy. You know, it's a nice fuck you to the company. True. <laughs> a company that really deserves it. Um, and it's funny because you know, again, it's like somebody just saying. Trying to enforce class structure. Yeah, at a moment where, buddy, you're going to die too. Dude, this is so not what you should be concentrating on right now. This is not your priority. Yeah. And, um, but I really, I would like to talk for a moment about Cal. Billy Zane. Okay. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did in this movie. I just want to stand up and punch the screen whenever he's on. Because I just, he's... I don't want to say he's everything I hate about humanity, but he, a lot of what he does, um, his very possessionist attitude towards Rose, his very disregard for other people who he thinks are not his class. He embodies a lot of really crappy qualities that I just do not like in people. Okay, I'm going to ask a very um, delicate question because I was thinking about this just yesterday after seeing the movie the other night do you think he's already had rose um no i do not everyone says that i, I think he did do you, okay um because during the um the patio scene this first thing was i thought you would you would have come to me last night and she said well i was tired I think he made his intentions uh, earlier in the film about what he wanted from her. He just he just wanted her as a sexual vessel. I don't think so. You think she's willingly? Okay, let me rephrase that. Okay, if she has had it, sex with Cal before, it wasn't enjoyable. It probably was not enjoyable. But was it willing or not? I think it may have been willing. For her mother's sake, for her sake, let me okay. let me okay. do my little because I've been go rehearsing ahead, this. I've been thinking. It. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so yes, I think he has slept with her. They have no money. He could marry anyone. He could marry an heiress, someone who is going to bring him even more position and power and wealth than he already has. Who is going to raise his station even more. He chooses someone who, yes, has a name, which is not, I wouldn't say particularly known in America, penniless, and gives her a 65-carat diamond necklace that is extremely rare. Yes, it is meant for royalty, but you don't go out and spend that much money on someone that you don't care about. Hang on. Again, she's not bringing anything to this marriage. Mm-hmm. There's no dowry. 
Yeah, she, yeah. This marriage is a marriage of convenience for her mother because they're for her, them. Her husband, you know, her, what is he dad. getting out of it? What is he actually getting out of it? Think strategy here. He's getting a beautiful woman, and I think, he can have a million of them. I think he just, for some reason, became infatuated with her. I don't think he truly loves her. I I, I don't see he, that as I at think all. he loves her in a way that. He thinks he knows how to love. I don't think he truly understands the concept, but he understands that there is a feeling. There's a difference between not being able to love and wanting it, but not knowing how to show it. Mm-hmm. He was willing to show it to her. He said, I would give you the world. There isn't anything I wouldn't give you. Or there isn't anything I wouldn't deny you as long as you didn't deny me. I, I think there is a part of him that actually does care. Deep down, there is a small sliver. He is so wrapped up in his class structure and how he plays the game that it, it, I think within those confines, it is hard for someone to show that mm-hmm. outright. He, he, and he, she wanted more, mm-hmm. which is why I think he fucking had her. And and like I said, it, that was probably what cemented their marriage was she probably went to him willingly. He had her. He may have convinced himself she could love me if she was willing to come to me. Mm-hmm. And that was all he wanted at that time. But he wanted more. And when Jack came into the picture, oh, my God, when she jumps that ship and comes back on board to run to Jack. I don't think he loses his shit because of, well, if I can't have her, no one can. I think in that moment, because I see David Warner put his hand on Billy's shoulder, look in his eyes. He just witnessed what true love is, and he will never have it from her. And that broke him. That is a really good analysis. Um, And that's an an analysis I think a lot of people miss because... mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, yeah, he's a shitbag, and I, I wanted to <laughs> shoot him too. He He's playing the game with all the people yeah. on board, including when he grabs the kid and was like, I got a child, please, I'm all she has in the world. He's yeah. playing the game. But with Rose, it's the only time he allows himself to really have any vulnerability. And I think that's what hurts him so much. When he comes back on in on the Carpathia later on and he's looking for her. Yes, okay, yeah. He's not looking for a diamond. He's not actively looking. You can tell he's shell-shocked. He's only passively looking because he is still, he's gone at that moment. It hurt to watch him last night for some reason. Okay. Um, It was a complete new experience of his performance. And that's great. I love that. I think, you know, I still think that, yeah, you're saying he can't, he doesn't know how mm-hmm. to love with, her properly. Yeah, within the confines that, of their class. And that becomes, you're my possession because I have bought you. I purchased you with this ridiculous diamond. And I, and that is, I think, something that does kind of fuel a lot of his actions. Yeah. Is the idea that I, anything can be bought and paid for, anything has a price. Because that's how he was raised mm-hmm. in that system. The idea of love is not shown within anyone in the first class. The only person who has any sort of tenderness, of course, is M- Molly. And I wouldn't even call Mr. Andrews first class. Oh, no, no. If, if anything... He's, he's only traveling first class because he works for the company. Exactly. He would be second class mm-hmm. if he wasn't working for the company. He wouldn't be seated at the first class table eating with the captain and all of them if it if he wasn't a worker. Um, He's kind because he's not a part of that class. He's in between. So he understands above and he understands below. Molly was kind of raised from the ranks. She understands what it's like to be a part of all of those. Oh, yeah. Rose wants love. She wants passion. She wants a fulfilled life, which is not something that she would get in the first class. Of course, she's going to go 
once she finds someone who is willing to actually look at her and see her, that's enough to make any woman fall in love, particularly when they are in a passionless marriage. Mm-hmm. Or what's looking to be a passionless marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. Definitely. Um, and her mother, by the way, third act, great work from her. And she doesn't say a damn word. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a lot of lot of just right in the eyes. With Huge. Those, with her performance. So much. And the scene where she comes in and laces up Rose's corset and they're talking about, um, you know, we're women. Our choices are never easy. It doesn't matter if it's unfair. We've got to do it. The realization that our fine things sold at auction and me working as a seamstress literally don't fucking matter and class doesn't matter anymore. When Rose grabs her and says, Mother, shut up. Don't you understand? The water's freezing and there isn't enough boats. Half of the people on this ship are going to die. Cal is the first to go, not the better half. But if you look at her mother's eyes, that is the first time she fucking gets it. And I was reading something the other day where um, Kate Winslet or someone had said during that scene... It was like 4 a.m. There's crazy lighting, people screaming. And she looked at Kathy Bates and was like, I got nothing. You got a thought, anything? And she and Kathy looked at her and goes, just remember, this is the first and the last time that you're seeing your mother. So when she says goodbye, that's, that is a great moment. That's a great note. Yeah. That really is. Wow. Because it's true. As I was watching mm-hmm. it uh, the other night, it's there. That is the first time the pretense of class is dropped on her mother's face and she becomes a mom. And then she spends the rest of the time in the lifeboat wishing to change everything and knowing that she can't. So she covers the ears and tries to shut it out. But looking up at the ship, her eyes of not... Watching everyone die, not the ship going on its side, the lights going out, things breaking. It's the thought that Rose is still up there and she has no clue what is happening to her daughter. Mm -hmm. Not her possession, not her bargaining chip, her daughter. Unfortunately, it comes too little too late, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, brilliant performance. On the drive home, I was thinking of some discussion questions for us. And part of me was like, what do you think happened to Rose's mom? I don't think Hartley took care of her. Not oh, even for Rose's sake. No. No. He 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 may have been too heartbroken. He may have been too angry. Um he may have felt in some ways, and rightfully or wrongly, that Rose's mother deceived him into um uh, into their relationship, knowing that mm-hmm. she needed the money. Yeah. So I <laughs> I mean Honest- I jokingly was like, eh, she died a, you know. In a gutter as a prostitute with a, you know, a heroin overdose or something like that. Um, I think she lost her mind and probably was locked in a mental asylum. Okay. That's what I I foresee for her. Mm -hmm. And I think we got a little bit of that when she was, she's the only one who was doing anything physical as a reaction to what was going on on that ship. Even Ishmael was just kind of, or Ismay was just sitting there. You I could, mean, it's a great shot. He kind of turns his entire back. Yeah. And, and then you have that rack focus from the ship to him. Oh, the rack focus that was going on mm-hmm. between him and Murdoch when he hops in the lifeboat? Oh, yeah. Murdoch <laughs> just looks at him like... Bam, bam, bam. I was like... Um, but no, I, I think she may have lost her mind at that point. Very, very conceivable, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and for... Even though you you have... Given me some good food for thought about Cal's. I don't want to accept redeeming Cal's character here. I'm not trying but, to redeem him, but I. All the best antagonists have something behind a performance other than I'm a dick. <laughs> um, part of me, part of me, and just does kind of look at him and go, "I'm glad you lost all your money and you ate a bullet." <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I am too, but like. I start thinking about the moment uh, he had already paid for his seat on the lifeboat and Murdoch says, you know, anyone else? And he looks at him like, are you coming or not? And he turns around and goes, God damn it, goes across to the other side of the ship to see Rose and Jack. 
He had a way out. He had a fucking way out. He, he was playing the game, trying to get on a lifeboat the entire fucking time. And even though Rose said, I would rather be his whore than your wife, spit in his face, ran off, he still went across to make certain that she was safe. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that came from a place of possession. Because I, the idea that he lied and said, yeah, Jack will get off with me. And it was all bullshit. That's the game. But him going over there to make certain she got into the boat, that was protection. He actually cared enough about her to make certain that she was safe before he even was. If he saw her as an object or a possession, he would have let her drown. Yeah. After after spitting in his face. That is the most degrading thing that a person can do to another person outside of rape. And she did that to him. Mm-hmm. That should have cut the tie completely between them at that moment. And yet, he still went back for her. So, there, there is a part of me that is completely looking at Cal in a new light. Maybe it's because I'm an actor. Maybe it's because I, I play a lot of chess, so I, I understand things. And I'm always willing in, to in look, terms of look at the board. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, no. I mean, it... I'm actually glad we're talking about this because, you know, I don't want to say, you know, Cal comes off as a cartoon villain. I think there are definitely layers to him. Uh, There's complexity to him. And uh, this is just kind of exploring that complexity in a way that I hadn't considered before. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm running out of things. The thing is that I've had like three conversations about Titanic in the last 48 hours since I saw it. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is like the fourth conversation, oh, so I'm I'm trying to hit the highlights of all the others okay. that I was okay. running in my head. Um, honest, this film was a I think it's the generational shift. Every every ten twenty years, you have one that completely changes the side of what filmmaking can be and how it moves along cinema. And becomes iconic. This movie didn't need an Academy Award for it to be cemented as one of the True. greatest of all time. True. Uh, Wizard it, of Oz. Then I would say Gone with the Wind in the same year. You know, two decades later, you have the time of the epics. You have Ben-Hur. You have Ten Commandments. Then two decades later, you have Star Wars. Yeah, this is definitely throwback filmmaking to, to that period. It, uh, it the is. The 60s, the wide cinemascope epics. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and uh, Titanic, I, I think, did it. Again, updated. And I think Avatar was meant to be the new uh, Titanic when Jim was kind of creating it. It's It falls short. And the reason is, is Titanic blurs the lines between old classic Hollywood epic cinema and a blockbuster and created something iconic. Avatar is just a blockbuster. It's a beautiful blockbuster, but it's a blockbuster. And I think the smartest thing that Jim did in the past 10 years was creating Pandora World at Disney Mm -hmm. in order to make certain that he still kept it in everyone's minds while he was trying to make the next movies. Because that creates the anticipation and makes people not forget about you. The next generational shift, I think we, we just recently saw it. I think it was everything, everywhere, all at once. I think that is the the film for, you know, millennials and Gen Z. Titanic definitely was more for Gen X into millennial. Um Okay, I I I know we've we've had this little bit of a conversation before and I think you may be right, but I think we can't definitively say that until we get a couple of years past it. I I, I, I would have to see the effects. I would agree there and but I think we're already starting to see the effect of it and and i think it's because it's a breath of fresh air it is a extremely profound film simple idea at the core but a profound film that blends between cinematic filmmaking and a blockbuster and um it goes back to more yes it does have special effects but it was made for a very small budget it's extremely good film um, and 
it does something that we haven't had in a while. It's not, it's original. And I, I think all the best ones usually are. When we first got started, though, obviously there were definitely more adaptations. Um, but the last few have all been original ideas between mm-hmm. Star Wars, Titanic, yeah. and everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think EEAAO has that potential because we're getting tired of seeing Marvel movies and we're getting tired of seeing Star Wars. We are. The amount of people that I have talked to over the last few months. No, no, no. I will will hold off on that. Please, because let me finish off. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Who are getting tired of going to see these movies, but they do because we've been Pavlov'd. We've been fucking trained that when a trailer for that drops, there really isn't anything else. Of course, we're going to fucking watch it. We just want (laughs) something to see, something that's going to entertain us, something that's going to... That, I think, rests more on the fault of the studios, eliminating the mid-range, the mid-budget range film, Um, like, say, Ticket to Paradise, which, okay, that actually got into theaters, but other films like that just go get shipped right off the streaming now. Mm And that's been a significant shift, which which I think is more the case of people getting, you know, upset about things. Um, I'm not sure I'm willing to say people are just tired of only Marvel movies and stuff because people are watching other stuff in, in streaming. Um, yeah, but we're talking yeah. in terms of theatrical releases. We're not talking streaming anymore. True. I'm just talking theatrical releases. It's mainly what... Honest, if I was to pull up like first showing uh, net right now and go down the major releases for each month, there's usually one superhero film every couple months. Yeah. And those are your biggest tentpole money makers of the year. Mm-hmm. And then you have something like EAO come along, a sleeper hit that wasn't supposed to do anything like it did. You and I went and saw it at the critic screening. <laughs> I've never seen a full audience critic standing ovation at the end of a movie. Mm-hmm. How many have you been to? Uh, a lot of of screeners. I, I have not seen a reaction like that, really. Now, there were other people outside of just the critics there. But I think even you know, looking around at some of the critics I knew, we were all like just applauding at the end because it was a great film. Now, um, and I think we're kind of drifting towards what would be a great subject – for another time of the state of <laughs> the theater going experience today. I'm just saying that yeah. with Titanic sticking around, it is going to be because it is a generational mm-hmm. tent pole no. that is great filmmaking that will touch everyone, no matter how old they are, no matter what, there is something for everyone mm-hmm. in it. There is action, uh, romance, history, everything. Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. It was 85 years from the disaster to Jim Cameron's film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 41 years between the disaster and the Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Clifton Webb film. Um, obviously, you know, there was other, there were other Titanic films before that. Mostly they were like newsreel things. And then in the 1943, mm-hmm. uh, there was... <laughs> This is the one people don't know about usually. There was the Nazi Germany treatment of this story as a propaganda film. Uh, I'd heard of it. I've never yes. seen it. Um, Kino Lorber put it out on DVD years ago, and I've seen I you know, rented it somewhere, and I've watched it. And basically, it's like it, it, it certainly emphasizes the class difference and the heroic German uh, – Ensign working down in the boiler room is the hero of this movie because he stays at his post. He does what's needed to help save lives while the rich upper crust act indifferent to everything. And, you know, that's that was the thrust of the propaganda in this film. And and also, apparently, the uh, they were taking a lot of resources to make this at a time when the Nazis weren't doing so great in the war. And uh, Hermann Goring had the director removed from the movie and arrested. And then some reason the director wound up hanging himself and I'm using sarcastic air quotes here, hanging himself in his jail cell, um, which is, you know, unfortunate and unfortunate and tragic end uh, to that 
person. But and although part of me is like, you were making Nazi propaganda films, buddy. Uh, maybe you should have uh, gotten out of uh, Dodge when everybody else did in the 30s. But your question. OK, but yeah, let me circle back around. That. So obviously Hollywood waited, you know, four decades, basically, mm-hmm. before they tried to tackle this story in a manner um, that adds drama and somewhat fictionalizes certain things mm-hmm. about it. Has there been any other more recent things? Um and I'm, th- I'm thinking specifically 9-11. Do you think we're only meh, 22 years out from 9-11? Do you think in another two decades we're going to see a 9-11 film that has a romance subplot into it? We already had one. Wait, which? Which? It's called Remember Me with Robert Pattinson, oh, um, Chris Cooper, and um, Emil DeRaven. I- ironically, uh, I forgot it, <laughs> um, but but yeah, no. So so is what's the time frame? I I can't even remember. I didn't see it. I know I didn't see the it. The movie takes place over a few weeks leading up to the disaster, um, and you don't find out really until the last few frames of the movie oh, that Robert one... Pattinson was in the tower when the oh okay plane yeah, hit yeah, it. yeah 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 okay um, I remember I remember more of this now but yeah yeah um um and we've also had other movies about that tragedy that were not really the nick cage one yeah world trade center and a few others concentrate uh flight 57 or whatever the number was united not united United 93 or no no, that that wasn't it was it i think maybe Oh, this is bad that we can't remember on a I, couple I actually, of levels. But yeah, with but, the exception of "Remember Me," I didn't see the others mm-hmm. because I didn't want to relive that tragedy. Exactly, and I think those those other two movies, because there was kind of like a race to get <laughs> get them out first. Mm-hmm. They they deal more with the heroism of the day mm-hmm. rather than using it as a backdrop for something else. And I mean, Titanic very much. You know, and to be honest, shows us the heroism of a lot of the officers and a lot of the people there. It shows us the horrible tragedy involved also. But ultimately, I literally didn't know going into watch Remember Me that it ended like that because they don't they don't ever advertise that in the trailer. Well, you they, don't, they certainly couldn't. I don't you think. don't know that. Uh, well, that's that's like the big fucking twist at the end is that he's calling her and literally you can see the shadow of the plane in the pane of the the glass of the window he's yeah. looking out at over the city like you can barely see like the shadow of it mm-hmm. coming across the reflection yeah. and it's like oh motherfucker now now the fact that they kind of hid that to kind of spring it does that that feels exploitative to me it was Just exploitative but it made for a really good cinematic heartbreaking moment at the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, am I going to go back and watch it anytime soon? No, <laughs> not even this conversation is going to be. And I actually thought yeah. about it for a second. I'm like, I can barely remember this movie, but I remember that fucking moment. <laughs> and, but it's not enough to make me want to go back. That's fair. Um, yeah, so so okay. Obviously, then Hollywood has kind of done something with nine eleven mm-hmm. uh, in a more in a more a more I don't want to say entertaining way because that sounds really wrong, but in a in a way that kind of moves past um, honoring the heroism that was evident on that day. Yeah, uh, you know, just the same way that we've had World War Two movies being made during World War Two, but it was always about the heroic American soldiers and things like that. It wasn't as, I don't know, say cynical as something like Kelly's heroes 25 years later. Which is funny because honest, I think the best uh, world war two movie that we've had in the last 20 years since saving private Ryan. I'm going to get a lot of shit. For this. <laughs> Uh-oh, what? It's letters to you with Jima. Okay. Which I, I, loved because we got to see the other side mm-hmm. i got tired of seeing oh american bravery american heroism blah, 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 blah. those are the, it skews the bias of your audience in one specific manner that they are evil and we are good there it's, is it's very no... much a carryover of what some feel is necessary propaganda stereotypes 
during wartime. Yeah, but we're no longer in wartime. Mm -hmm. And everyone is, they're human. They're fighting for their country. I'm going to tell you right now, the Japanese fighting for the emperor was, for them, they were doing what we were doing. They were fighting for their country. Mm -hmm. They were soldiers. They were taking orders. They were doing what they were told. What makes them any different from us? You kill and you do it on the orders of a government that is c commanding you to fight for your country. Mm -hmm. And telling you this is for the better good. Exactly. But like Titanic and Letters to Iwo Jima, I think that theme is prevalent. That it doesn't matter the class. It doesn't matter old, young. We all feel the same thing at the end of the day. And that's why I think Titanic will stand the test of time. That is a great note to end this on. So I think that about wraps us up for this episode. Titanic is currently playing in theaters. A marvelous 3D conversion or the Blu-rays available wherever you buy physical media <laughs> wherever you can still buy physical media <laughs> remember you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com and we are now available or we have been available on itunes stitcher and google play so either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there search and hit subscribe and if you like what you're hearing please leave a positive review because that always helps us find new listeners we'll be back next time we're doing our second retro review in a row, and this time it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon my from director Ang Lee. My first foreign film ever. <laughs> and what I don't mean to say that I've never seen it before. I mean, it was my first foreign film yes. at the age of six. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited for this one. That's right. And we'll be so we'll be back next week and hopefully another great discussion. Yay! And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Ever since our voyage of land began Your touch has thrilled me like the rush of the wind And your arms have held me safe from a rolling sea There's always been a quiet place to harbor you and me